Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Take two. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, I just did a full hour and a half episode, complete, from beginning to end. And then when I went to throw it into Audacity to, to you know, upload it and everything, it sounds like this. Fuck, fuck off. The whole thing sounds like a robot. It's, oh, you know, you know when you do a lot of work and then your dog eats it or something and, and that work is just gone now. That's, 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 that's what just happened. It just, I did, I, it was an hour and a half. I do these, there's no script. I improvised. I improvised an hour and a half, and I was like, I'm quite happy with that episode. That was a good episode. I'm quite happy with that episode. I think that, uh, you know, that'll be a good one. The kids will like it. You know, the paramaniacs will like it. And then, then that happens. And the whole thing is toast. Now, I will say, when I was recording, because I can hear myself through the speakers when I'm recording, clear as a bell, perfect sound. Everything was beautiful and great and swell and sweet, and I loved it. And then when I played it on Audacity, in case you kind of didn't hear what happened here, let me play some more of it. You ready? Here you go. My computer, I, my screen just shattered. I, it was right before a live episode. I know I haven't done I can't, I, I can't, know. I can't do an episode. I can't upload an episode like that and be proud of that and be like, nah, it's fine. It's good enough. You can kind of hear what I say. If you like robots Oh my God, are you going to love that episode? And maybe I will. Maybe I'll release that episode as the robot episode. And then you can kind of listen back to it and then listen back to this one and be like, let's see what Kurt remembered that he said back the first time when he was a robot and how human Kurt, uh, you know, changes it. Anyhow, anyhow, that sucks. All right, last I'm going to speak of that. I'm, I'm going to have to get a water because now I'm going to be speaking for another hour and a half myself. It's 11-11. It's 11-11 right now. Everybody make a wish. Uh, happy, healthy, and wealthy. Wealthy, healthy, and happy. Whatever way I want it. That's what I want. And then two, hopefully I don't sound like a fucking robot on this one in an hour and a half. Because I can't just stop this and then listen. Like, I can't listen back. I got to do the episode. This, I don't know. I'm very, <sighs> all right, we're moving past it. You know what? Shit happens. That's just how, that's right. This shit happens. So where was I? Oh, yeah. That's right. I'm your host, Kurt Sandvig. And on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, I wanted to do a Barbieheimer episode, but I didn't. Before we get to the shout outs, uh, let me explain what happened. So uh, patrons, 
you're going to get a longer episode. <laughs> you might even get the robot episode. You're going to you're going to get a longer episode uh, on this episode as well. So don't worry, like this one as well. You can go to patreon.com slash paranormal almanac and there will be the full patron length episode of this one with more content and maybe a Barbieheimer or two. You'll have to wait and see. Um, the you can also get like when you if you're a patron, you can also get a bunch of uh, access to exclusive stuff just for the patrons that I did. And um, I do Zooms with the patrons once a week, roughly once a week. Um, I do Zooms with the patrons. We get to hang out and just talk about whatever. Now, here's the crazy thing that happened the last time. This is a brand new laptop um, since the last one. I had opened up my laptop, logged on. Like right before I logged on to Zoom, I was sitting there like typing stuff, something out like on a little like wireless keyboard. So I'm not even touching the key. I'm not even touching the laptop at all. And the laptop's like... And the screen just shattered, just completely shattered. And I was like, well, whatever. I got two other monitors plugged in. It's not the end of the world. But it was because if I open up like Audacity, it opens up a pop-up on the laptop monitor that I have to click on to get to Audacity, get it to open. So I was like, oh, shit, I really can't. I need a new laptop now. So I spent money. I spent the patron money this time on a open box laptop from uh, Best Buy. So now I'm, you know, I'm coming to you from a new HP laptop. Hopefully that's not the cause of the robot voice. I can't imagine it is. All right, stop, stop. I can't imagine it is, but it could be. Um, oh man. Yeah. Some Matt Schroeder. So it sounds like I'm trying to tune into Art Bell in the nineties, right? It's like you're, you're, you know, you're listening to AM radio, but you're not really tuned in quite right. Or you're like, you know, going in between two towns back in the day on FM radio when it was like kind of coming in and kind of not coming in. It's unlistenable is what it is. But uh, anyhow, let's do some shout outs. Shout outs going out to Adam Morissette. Adam, if you haven't already, I haven't checked my email, but please email paranormalalmanac at gmail.com. You can go to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. I need you to pick the style, the color, and the size of your choice to get your exclusive Paranormal Almanac shirt and your address. Obviously, I'm going to need your address. And I will mail you out your um, Paranormal Almanac shirt for being a, uh, a exclusive Illuminati-level patron because he is, and Adam's awesome. So that's for Adam. Uh, Shout-outs to Adam Morissette, Karen, Ethan, Sylvester, Duran, Nikki Loves James. You know what? I hope this always stays Nikki Loves James. I hope like, you know, two episodes from now I don't log in and it's like Nikki is okay with James or Nikki is a little upset with James, you know? So Nikki, I hope you love James. James, don't fuck it up. Just keep keep that love going. We need love, especially now after all this. Uh, Cobalt Slayer 42, Lori, Alicia, Rebecca, Ann, Stephen Cher, Jane Ann, Jennifer, Heather G, your friendly neighborhood skinwalker. Okay, here, this one. I hope you always remain my friendly neighborhood skinwalker. And the next time I open this up, it doesn't say, hey, Kurt, this skinwalker's coming for you. Now he's upset. You, you fucked up too many times with skinwalkers. Now he's upset with you. Zuzus, what's it? Nico Cher in the mouse. Mark Tortuga, Mike from Jersey. Jay Bizzle, Andy, Tracy, Virginia Mailman. Tony the Magician. Tony, Tony, Kurt here. I love magic. I hope that one day you do a magic trick for me because I love magic. And you don't tell me that magic's fake because that's the one thing that always bums me out. I love Penn and Teller. But when they go like, hey, here's this awesome trick. Here's how we did it because you're stupid. I don't need this, your stupid part. Just show me the cool magic trick. And if I figure it out, cool. And if I don't, that's awesome. So, Tony, magic trick, please, someday. That's all I ask. 
Jason, Vicky, Crow, Clay, Buzz, Lobita Works, Glacier Main, Isabel, Jen Jen, Stacy, Amber, Tracy, Kelly, huh, Kelly Joe, Menace the Beast, Kick-Ass Magic Robot Webcomics, Sandy, Paige, Kausch, Bentman666, Andrew, happy birthday, Andrew, Scott, Andrea, oh wait, hold on, Andrew, happy birthday. Uh, Scott, Andrea, Melody, Vanessa, Marisol, Liam, Roger, Becca, Jake, Charlotte, and the Beasties, Elizabeth, Voidtech. Charlotte, by the way, was my favorite on the last Zoom call. I, I love Charlotte, so let's continue with that one as well. Uh, Voidtech, Sherry, Art Muffin, Tim, Kenneth, Ricardo, Ian, Alexandra, George, Zozo the Demon, Hayden, Cindy, Ashley, Carrie, Robin, Will, Lauren, Russell, April, Isabel, Audra, Dorian, Cindy, Bob, Paula, Jerry, Jeff T, Joe, Lawrence, the Lauren Strawn. Hey, howdy, hi, Veronica, Autumn, J Mark, Manning, Carolyn, the Dungeon Master next door. Hey, hey, Dungeon Master next door. Come, you're, you're right next door. Come over. Let's let's play some D&D. I love D&D. Jade, Nanashi, Chuck, Todd, Jamie, Elijah Hendrickson, Dan, Laura Pitts, and Gamer Fan with two special shout-outs to Joe Teague and a Stitch. And I'm still, you have no idea how many how often I'm looking over at this thing. There's no way. I mean, this is what I sounded like when I did the last episode. It sounded perfect. I'm so paranoid right now. I've never been more paranoid. Why would it do that? This is the one and only time it's ever done that. What is happening? Um, You might be asking, hey, hey, Kurt, shut up about that. Where were you last week, huh, Kurt? Well, I'll tell you where I was. I was at four They Might Be Giants events, three concerts and one screening of Gigantic at Tale of Two Johns, where the two Johns were there for a Q&A, and it was absolutely fantastic. So Thursday night was the Tale of Two Johns. Great. Love seeing the Johns. Rare form. Loved it. Then, Friday night, I drove all the way down to San Diego and saw the saw They Might Be Giants down in San Diego, and it was a phenomenal show. Absolutely fantastic show. Then, drove home. Back, drove back home to uh, to Los Angeles. Then Saturday, drove down to San Diego, saw They Might Be Giants, and the whole band were just excellent. I mean, they just excelled. And I'm talking the whole band. So shout out, special shout outs to John Linnell, John Flansburg, Dan Miller, Danny Weinkoff, always Danny Weinkoff, the nicest guy in the world, um, Marty Beller, Stan Harrison, Dan Levine, and Mark the Love Man Pender, another phenomenal, phenomenal human being. All of them are phenomenal human beings. They did a phenomenal show. Then, on Sunday, I got to see my favorite band at the Hollywood Bowl. They opened up for Sparks. And, and if that wasn't incredible enough, which it was, because they did a phenomenal job at the Hollywood Bowl. There's like 17,000 people there. My friend... A good friend of mine, Elisa, uh, she's got a garden box there. So she's like, hey, come over. You can come sit with me. We'll go to the show. So we're kind of close up. So I was even kind of close up. There's like 17,000 people basically behind me. But she was like, you know, we we're talking about like, ooh, I want to see what I want them to play, yada, yada, yada. And Weird Al sits in the garden box next to me. Now, back in the day in the 90s at uh, like uh, House of Blues, Hollywood, I used to see Weird Al in the, in the crowd for They Might Be Giants. He's a fan of They Might Be Giants. I used to see him in the crowd. He was just a regular person standing there. So I've talked to him. I've stood next to him watching They Might Be Giants before. But there is something special for me being a huge Weird Al fan. I didn't, and I didn't bother him. I did not bother I wanted to. I wanted to talk to him, but I didn't. I, you know, there was, a, there was an endless stream of nerds going up to Weird Al and getting their photos taken with him that I was like, no, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm just going to sit there next to him. 
Just enjoy the fact that I get to watch They Might Be Giants and Sparks with Weird Al and his family sitting next to me. And it was, there's something extra special about that. There really was. It was fantastic. He's the nicest man in the world. Not once was he like, hey, I'm sorry, but I'm just trying to spend some time with my family. Or, hey, I'm sorry, I'm just trying to watch a show. He was polite and nice to everybody that walked up to him. So Weird Al, phenomenal human being. They Might Be Giants, phenomenal show. Phenomenal, phenomenal human beings as well. Uh, phenomenal show. But uh, So that's where I was last week. So I didn't have time to come up with an episode. And like I said, I was originally going to do this as a Barbie Heimer episode. But shockingly, for some reason... There aren't a lot of haunted Barbie stories, and there's not a lot of haunted stories from Hiroshima Nagasaki, which I'll get into a little bit. Um, it's weird, though, right? It's really weird. Anyhow, uh, let's get right down into, oh, God, I hope this works, Paranormal News. Paranormal News. <sighs> All right, so I think what I'm going to do, I, f- I think what I figured it out is I'm going to do paranormal news, then I'm going to stop the episode. I'm going to go back and listen to it. And if it's fine, then I'll continue on the episode. If it's still a robot, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because I can't release a robot episode. That's just not the high quality that some people expect from a shitty podcast like this. Anyhow, the first story in paranormal news is one that I'm really excited about. And I get, like, I posted on this on the the Facebook fan page, and I get why a lot of people are like, nah, whatever, don't care. Um, I really care. I love the show Curse of Oak Island. I I do believe that there is treasure on Oak Island, or there was treasure on Oak Island. I do believe at one point, I kind of go flip-flopping back and forth, whether is there still treasure there or whether the treasure's all been found. But there was treasure at one point on Oak Island. Whether it's still there, I don't know. But a house went up for sale on Oak Island. There's only three houses on Oak Island. This is my one in three chance. I When I win the Mega Millions tonight, I'm buying a house on Oak Island. I'm not going to live there year-round because it gets cold and hurricane and, you know, tons of snow and shit like that. But I, I will spend some time on Oak Island. You got to believe that I'll be out there every day with a metal detector like, fuck off, this is my land. You know, suck it. I'm going to find the treasure first. Um, I'd love to meet the Laginas. I think it'd be awesome. But anyhow... For only $3,999,000 Canadian dollars. And I have no idea what Canadian, like what it is between Canadian and U.S. dollars. But my guess is that uh, that the rate isn't so well that I have that much money. It's not like, you know, you know that every one American dollar is worth a million Canadian dollars, right? No, I'm sure it's not that bad of a, you know, like the, the rate. Uh, so I'm guessing I don't have enough money. But when I win the, the Mega Millions or the Super Lotto tonight, that... I'm going to buy this freaking house. Um, Anyhow, it's not just any house on Oak Island. It's the house of treasured hunter Dan Blankenship, which, again, if you watch the show, you know the name. You know the house. They used to go to it quite a bit. So the 1970s spacious bungalow with a 2006 edition has three bedrooms, three bathrooms, open kitchen, dining room, living room concept, and a lower-level study. The garage is conveniently built into the lower level, and there's no shortage of storage. 
The 12 by 12 deck overlooks the water. Although there have been several treasure hunters on Oak Island over the years, no one has been as passionate as the late Dan Blankenship, who spent over 54 years chasing his dream of finding the elusive treasure. Dan's appearance on the TV series, The Curse of Oak Island, launched him into worldwide fame in his senior years, and he was known at the time as the living legend of Oak Island. There are only a few owners of Oak Island, including three permanent houses. The island is accessed year-round by a causeway. That's right. A house is on Oak Island, and it's up for sale. This is big for me. Again, I get it. I could get it if you don't like the show. Like, there's a lot of people I know that are like, no, they never find anything. That show sucks. There's nothing ever to it. Sure, I get that. But for me, this is it. This is like this is like Fen's treasure level kind of stuff that I would absolutely love to own a house on Oak Island. I think that would be insanely cool. All righty, the next story in paranormal news. There's a bunch that are all about the same thing, so I'm just going to kind of read you pieces of each of them. But the next one is Harvard alien hunter UFO claims grabs attention ahead of a house hearing. The big story here is that there's another house hearing next Wednesday about UFOs. But this story is about Avi Loeb, who is a Harvard physicist. He believes he found fragments of alien technology on the floor off the coast of Papua New Guinea, ocean floor off the coast of Papua New Guinea. He calls himself the alien hunter of Harvard. He went to the region searching for bits of a rare meteor, one that formed outside our solar system and reportedly crashed in the area in 2014. This is one that broke off from Umamau. And I know what you're saying. It's not Umamau, it's Omoamoa. I get it, but it doesn't sound as good when I go. So he found these 50 small metallic spheres in the sand on the ocean floor. And he contends that the pieces were fragments of an alien craft, the first hard evidence proving that there was life beyond Earth and bolstered his claims by citing a U.S. Space Command notice that said that the trajectory of whatever crashed in the ocean was interstellar in origin. U.S. Space Command, however, never said anything about an alien craft crashing into the water, and there is no evidence to tie the metallic spheres that he has shown images of to that meteor. There's also no material evidence that the spheres are otherworldly. So, a lot of skepticism. The big thing is, though, let them keep doing this kind of stuff. Let them keep finding this stuff because, again, it's just pushing the government to have to, quote, say something about it, do disclosure about it. And that's exactly what they're doing because next Wednesday, let me go to the next story. Next story, please. Next Wednesday, they're doing another House committee. Oh, go away. Go away. What are you doing? Why are you, why are you doing this? Come on, you didn't do this to me last time. Don't start this crap on me. Come on, let's do this Do this right. Uh, now it's going to take 12 seconds, too. So let me banter for a good 12 seconds. Telling you, it's a great day in the Kurt household right now. I really want to just be like, sorry, guys, no new episode. I'm not fucking doing it, but I'm not going to. I'm going to push through. And as long as this sounds good, I'm going to push through. Here we go. Held a hearing on UAPs. They brought in some Pentagon bureaucrats to it who only had two answers to the questions they were asked. I don't know or that's classified. This hearing is going to be different. We're going to have witnesses who can speak frankly to public about their experiences. We've had a heck of a lot of pushback about this hearing. We've had members of Congress who fought us. We've had members of the intelligence community and also the Pentagon. Even NASA backed out on us. There are a lot of people who don't want this to come to light. I've even tried to introduce an amendment to the Federal Aviation Administration reauthorization bill and all that would do would require the Federal Aviation Administration to report UAP sightings by commercial pilots to Congress. 
the intelligence I was told the uh, the intelligence community shut it down. Huh. This is ridiculous, folks. See, they, it's it's not just me that that fucks shit up. I'm not the only mushmouth on here. It's hard to talk all the time, is what I'm saying. Let's get back to this guy though. He's talking about cool shit. Either they do exist or they don't exist. They keep telling us they don't exist, but they block every opportunity for us to get a hold of the information to prove that they do exist. And we're going to get to the bottom of it, dadgummit, whatever the <laughs> truth may be. We're done with the cover-up. We're not whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, buddy. Hey, uh, Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee. Kurt here. You can fucking say whatever you want on your own show, but don't be using harsh language like dadgummit on my fucking podcast. We do not say those words on my show. All right, let's get back to him. What is he going to say? We're not going to bring you in a saucer or a little green man. That's not what it's going to be about. And I know, y'all, every time you play this interview with one of us, you play the theme from X-Files. I get it. But the reality is the American public deserves to know. True. I get, Yes, true, 100%. So once again, that was Representative Tim Burchett of Tennessee. They're talking about the House Oversight Committee that will hold a hearing on unidentified aerial phenomena next week. So Wednesday, 10 a.m., you can log in and watch it. Um, on YouTube, you can watch it. And I and I will be watching it. Now, I have to say that the previous two did leave me a little bit despondent because somehow they make talking about UFOs the most boring thing ever. And I'm, I'm sure there's like critics of this podcast that say, yeah, so do you. But I don't think I do. I think I talk about it in an entertaining way. Daggummit. Um, but anyhow, let them keep doing these kind of committees. We need them. Piecemeal by piecemeal, let them talk about UFOs until disclosure. It's coming. It's coming. I'm telling you guys. I know that I've been saying it for a while, but there's people that have been saying it for 30 years. It's coming. I There used to be a time when it would take, I would struggle to find news stories for paranormal news, and now I can't, there's like two hours worth of them. Oh, here's the next one. Investigator sitting down for his first interview in an ABC News exclusive, opening up about his concern over what he calls an extraterrestrial technical surprise. Our Devin Dwyer has more. Oh my God. This is footage from the Tic Tac video. After decades of mysterious sightings, the Pentagon's top UFO investigator speaking exclusively to ABC News. I'm a long-term intelligence officer, scientist, and military officer. Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, in his first television interview after a year on the job, told us everything is on the table. What keeps you up at night? Technical surprise. And that could be adversary technical surprise or extraterrestrial technical surprise. Kirkpatrick leads the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or ARO, created by Congress last I want to year talk to, to detect, I really identify, do. and attribute mysterious objects of interest in the air, in outer space, and even underwater. The top priorities, he says, are mitigating threats to the safety of military personnel and dispelling myths. What's the most common misconception people have of UAPs or of the work you're doing? That they're all the same thing and they're all extraterrestrial. Um, and neither of those are true. His office is investigating more than 800 right, cases right. of potential UA. Oh, that's that's enough for this one. Um, what it is basically saying is this: just another gentleman. There's a lot of people that are pushing for the government to say what the fuck is happening and actually come out with what is happening. And it's like I said, this pressure is all good. 
Whether the government ever gives us exactly what's happening, I doubt they ever will because, sorry, people, the government never really has us, our, our interests in mind, best interest in mind, but they keep doing these things. They keep pressing people. More information will come out. And the next one is about the same thing. We're done with the UFO cover-ups. Um, they're going to get their day in court, uh, like I said, in Congress. So it's going to happen on uh, July 26th. So if you're listening to this in future, it already happened. So just look it up. But if you're listening to it today, it hasn't happened yet. It's going to happen on Wednesday. All righty, up next in paranormal news. So this is one that I usually, like, I can't wait until I watch these live on the air, which I did, and then it didn't, the, rec the recording sucked. So I've actually watched this one already, but it's from Kingsburg, California, and a Kingsburg res residence is now looking at his camera footage to say that he, uh, to find out what's going on, because... He said that he got a motion notification in his backyard from Google Nest near Century Communities in Kingsburg. No clue what it was, said Hippolito, Hippolito Ramos. Um, it's very cool. It's, it's a neat thing. I'll watch it again for you guys, but I've already watched camera, it. The, shall we say, the weirdest unidentified flying object you've likely ever seen right over someone's backyard in Kingsburg. It definitely is the weirdest. Take a look it at this. It definitely Fox was weird. I'll give him Myra that. Franco spoke with the homeowner who captured it and has his reaction tonight, Myra. Monty Liz, our interview was interviewee was camera shy, but he did fill us in over the phone about what he captured on video. Take a look for yourself and see what you think it is. So it's a black and white footage of the backyard and there's this weird pixelated thing that all right, shut up, shut up, wait, shut up. I'm trying to talk. There's this weird pixelated thing that cruises around from left to right. Now I would initially think it's a bug, but how pixelated and weird it is. I don't know. The way it flies is very organic, very bug or bird, bat maybe. But it's so pixelated and weird blobby shaped, I I don't know what it is. And this is what I said the last time too. I don't know what it is. I'll throw it up on the Facebook fan page. You guys can watch it. Let me know what you think because I honestly have no clue what I was looking at. It's weird. It really is. In fact, I'm throwing it up on the Facebook fan page now. What do you think this is? This is hopefully from the new episode I'm recording again. Sad trombone. Womp womp. Alrighty, up next in paranormal news. A small southwest Oregon town finds thousands of reasons to celebrate Bigfoot. Now, when I recorded this initially, you had two hours to get there. Now you only have a half hour and I still haven't released this episode yet. So the episode chances are that this festival, the annual Sasquatch Festival in Glide, Oregon, is happening as you're listening to it. The Douglas community of Glide is about 2,300 residents based on school uh, district boundaries. When it threw its first ever Sasquatch Festival last year, it had 2,500 attendees on top of the residents. So they expect a big turnout, maybe 5,000 people, for the Glide Sasquatch, Sasquatch Festival that takes place today. Saturday, July 22nd, from 12 noon until 9 p.m. So even if I get this episode out in the next hour or two, um, you still got time to get down there if you're in the area. Please go to these. I love a good Sasquatch festival. They said um, you got Sasquatch-themed vendors, Sasquatch calling contest, costume contest. It's meant to bring skeptics and believers together for meaningful discourse. Because, you know, that happens everywhere. Skeptics and believers having meaningful discourse. It, Kurt here, that, that doesn't happen. But I love a good Sasquatch festival, so I can't, I, don't, I can't afford to go to them. So if you can afford or if you're near there and you can go to it, please go to it because 
I love a good festival. Look, again, if I win that Mega Millions of the Super Lotto tonight, trust me when I start doing a lot of paranormal almanac field trips to festivals, to Sasquatch festivals, UFO festivals, paranormal festivals, because I love them, and I would then have the money to actually go and see them. Up next in paranormal news, this next one comes from Snopes.com. It says, does drone footage show Bigfoot roaming a snowy forest? One headline promoting the video read, new drone footage of Bigfoot described as the best evidence yet. And then you get to the meat of the article and it says, nope, it's false. Sorry, um, if they said that if you watch it till the end of the video, it was intended as a prank. They said uh, at the very end of the article that the writer said that the video was intended as a prank. In other words, it's not true. Womp, womp. And because of that, and because I'm very tired and I'm going hoarse and I'm doing this whole episode again, let's go on to the next story in paranormal news. Yet another Bigfoot festival I would go to if I could afford it. This time in Ohio. The Ohio Festival will have you believing in Bigfoot. The first weekend of August, the annual Hocking Hills Bigfoot Festival fills the street with food, fun, and fur happening August 4th and 5th. This is one of Ohio's festivals that have you believing in Bigfoot and delighting in the wonderful weird side of the Buckeye State. That's about all I'm going to read from that. Hopefully you guys can go to that. And if you do, please like go to it and, and send me a video of it. I'll, I'll put it up on an episode. I would love that. I'd love to have a bunch of paramaniac reporters out in the wild going to these festivals that I can, you know, put on to next, you know, new episodes coming out. Finally, in paranormal news, Loch Ness, Loch Ness tourist leaves scathing one-star review after failing to spot legendary monster. Kurt here, not a monster. The Loch Ness has been slammed by a tourist in a scathing one-star review claiming, quote, they never saw the monster once. Kurt here, because it's not a fucking monster. Uh, Let's see. Let's go to the review. Went for a swim in Loch Ness, and it was the wettest water I've ever encountered. Kurt here. That's already a dumb review. Probably due to the temperatures, which was surprisingly cold. Spent a whole week there and never saw the monster once. The man at the shop told us if we sat perfectly still on the bench, we were more likely to see him. But we didn't see a thing. Lots of people were in and out of the shop and were usually laughing quite loud, which could have scared him away. Or they're laughing at you because you're a fucking idiot. Um, there was another bad review that said... Quote, there was no monster. As I eagerly scanned the horizon, binoculars glued to my eyes. All I managed to spot were a few ducks and an enthusiastic fisherman trying to catch his lunch. Uh, yeah, you're not guaranteed to see Nessie, people. Not guaranteed. There's no guarantees in life. For fuck's sake. Figure it out. All right, let's take a quick break. I'm going to listen to this, and if it doesn't sound like a robot, I'll be back in just a moment. We are back. So far, so good. It doesn't sound like a robot. I, I don't know if pressing record, pressing stop and record was the best thing to do, but I had to find out because I wasn't going to continue on again. But here we're back. We're back. And uh, in all the kerfuffle, you might have forgotten that I was originally going to do a Barbie Heimer episode this week. Uh, did I do a shout out to, to Joe and Stitch? If I didn't, I'm going to do it right now. There's going to be a special shout-out to Joe and Stitch. I always want that in every episode, and I want to make sure I didn't forget to do it here because I'm so flustered with this. But we're back. Knock on wood, this will go all right. It's fake wood, but does still counts. Um, I couldn't find enough about haunted bar... Couldn't find out enough about haunted Barbies, and I couldn't find enough ghost stories from Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so instead I'm doing a Cursed Lands episode, people. Look, I tried. I really did. I wanted nothing more 
than to do a Bar- Barbie Heimer episode for you guys. Look, you think I'm mush mouth on the first take? Do it second take. I'm so fried right now that I'm going to be mush mouthing my way through it. But I couldn't do a Barbie Heimer episode for you guys. I really wanted to. I tried and tried. And I didn't want to do like a half-assed 20-minute episode, so I decided I'm going to do a Cursed Land episode because there are a fuck ton of those, daggummit. All right, the first one. I didn't really know anything about this story, but it's a cool one. And for this one, we go all the way back to 1748 when the Native American tribe, the Abenaki, lived in what is now called Brunswick Springs. Um, They lived there because of the healing powers of these springs, though. You see, these springs all come from the same source, but they split into six different mineral waters. And I don't mean they split into uh, Poland Springs and Avion and Kroger Purified Drinking Water. I can't think of another bottled water name of smart water. Uh, you know, they don't do that. What I mean is they split into calcium, iron, magnesium. By the way, magnesium's really good for you. If, if, if you're listening to this, get yourself a multivitamin that has magnesium. It's really good for you. It's, it's done wonders for me. Uh, so those so far all good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. But they also, the springs also split into arsenic, sulfur, and bromide. So if you get yourself a, a, a multivitamin that is filled with arsenic, sulfur, and bromide, don't, don't take that. That seems bad, okay? Get, get the good ones. Get, get a Flintstones vitamin. Don't get the sulfur vitamins is what I'm saying. But we got to cut to white men ruining Brunswick Springs because the story goes that a soldier was wounded in the French and Indian War. When he came back to this general area, he heard about the springs from the Abenaki they were like, hey, man, these springs are awesome. They're going to cure you, dude. And he's like, what? Really? I, you know, the, the hospitals say I can never be cured. So, yeah, screw it. I'll try it. So he goes and drinks from the springs. And guess what? He recovers, despite what the hospital said, that he would never recover. And he's like, hmm, this sacred water is awesome. I'm going to get rich off of it. And the Abenaki are like, hey, dickhole, it's not your springs. So how about you don't get rich off of it? We're lucky. You're lucky we let you drink from it. And he's like, nope, and a fight ensued, and he ended up killing two Abenaki. Now, most sites say that he killed a father and his boy son. So the mother of the baby, she puts a curse on the springs that, quote, anyone who tried to profit from the spring would fail forever. Now, Ripley's Believe It or Not actually called the springs the eighth wonder of the world. So this word was getting out there. Between them and this this guy that, like, got cured from it, word started to spread, and the upper-class people started to buy the water. So if, you, if you're saying to me, like, right now, like, well, you know what? Bottled water happened in the 80s. Before that, everybody just drank out of, like, off drank out of the hose. Apparently, that's not true. I always thought that was the case. I drank out of the hose as a kid. They didn't have, I guarantee you that hose was not filled with iron, calcium, and magnesium. It was probably filled with, like, rust and dead bugs, but I still drank from it and I was happy to do it because that's what kids in the seventies did. But anyhow, um, so word started to spread. The upper class people are buying the water and the town of Brunswick just kind of like boomed like a, like a, like a gold rush town. It just boomed. So the first house was built on the hill above the Springs in 1832. Then the first hotel called the Brunswick Springs host. Oh, sorry. Brunswick Springs house followed in 1860. 
An early hotel brochure said that the medicine waters of the Great Spirit and 60 guest chambers piped with the water from Brunswick Springs. That's right. They actually pumped in the water to all the hotel rooms. Now, here comes the legend stuff. Hold on a second. Rum wants to come up on my lap, and I need that kind of support. Come up here. Hi, sweetheart. Hi, beautiful, my girl. Yes, I know. I have said all of this stuff before already. This is this is a bad time. You want a treat? You get a treat because you're being a good girl. Hold on one second. Here you go, sweetheart. I love you. She's been good. She's been sitting for now going on two and a half hours of listening to me say the same shit over and over again. So she gets she gets a treat. I don't care what these people say. Uh, where was I? Uh, oh, yeah. So they actually piped in the water to all of the rooms. Now, here comes the legend stuff. A few years after the hotel was built, stories started popping up about a ghost sorceress that was seen up on the hill by the hotel. Assumingly, they're, they're seeing that Native American who did the curse. But that's about it for the ghost that I could find, so let's go back to the curse. So, the hotel was enlarged in 1894 to handle the growing crowds when... The hotel burnt to the ground. So they rebuild it. That one falls into the river. That seems bad. Then that owner dies. So the second owner, John Hutchins, he took over the hotel. He named it the Pinecrest Lodge and rebuilt it. Then, I'm not going to do the dun-dun-duns anymore. Then there was a fire, then another fire, then another fire in just three years. So... The Pinecrest Lodge burnt down in 1929, then in 1930, finally in 1931. So after the three fires, this guy John Hudgens is like, ah, I give up. And that was the last hotel built on the site. Now you can still hike to see it, but I'm just going to guess you probably don't want to drink from the springs. I don't know. Do you want to drink from the springs at this point? There's more to the story, but at this point, yeah, you might want to still drink from the springs. You're not making money off, like don't sell it. But, okay, let's continue on. Since 1931, two men have hanged themselves near the springs. Another person drove her car into the lake and drowned, and the land has been sold back to the Abenaki. I'm just going to read this update just as they posted it. The Abenakis in Swanton formed a nonprofit organization 10 or 12 years ago called Wobanaki Inc. They bought the land because it was allegedly a sacred spot for them, and Wobanaki Inc. then sold the rights to develop the land through an easement to the Vermont Land Trust on October 22nd. A conservation easement is the right to develop land. It says that you can't add more buildings to the land or have other business operations besides those that already exist. As a land trust, we legally say that the land can't be developed again. Okay. Doesn't that sound to me, that, I mean, to me, it's, or doesn't it sound like to you, I guess, and what I'm trying to say, that the Wobanaki are kind of profiting off of the land? Which seems like it's a bad thing, but maybe because they're the Abenaki, they are immune to the curse the curse doesn't apply to them i don't know it seems weird now skeptics time there was a geologist that tested the water in like the 80s or the 90s and he said there's nothing special about it he says if people want to believe the myth and the myth is not necessarily a bad word then fine but scientifically if you test the water you'll find there's mostly sulfur dioxide and its level is almost identical in each of the springs but so i don't know what to believe now like at this point i'm like so is there something to these? Is there not something to these? Here's the problem. There's a couple of newspaper articles about the springs that go into big details. It's actually really cool. 
The setting is one of the most beautiful in all of New England, six natural mineral springs situated between the Connecticut River and a small secluded pond. Add some large pine trees on a scenic knoll and you have the world's most successful health resort, right? Wrong. Brunswick Springs seems to be the ideal place to make someone a million, but it never happens. Somehow, mysteriously, something always seems to go wrong. Some people say it was just bad luck, but others smile and ask, didn't you ever hear about the curse? And this first one goes into big detail. Like, by 1930, Harry Savage of Bloomfield was building a new hotel for the owner, John Hutchins. Monstrous structure, four stories high, 100 feet long. Boom, fire. Tragedy strikes twice. Um, is the Springs a hoax? No. Then this newspaper article quotes a state geologist, Dr. H.A. Cuttings, as finding 85 and a third grams minerals, grams of minerals to the gallon. A qualitative analysis found the springs contain potassium, carbonate, sodium carbonate, magnesium, carbonate ferrous oxide, uh, sulfuric acid, and chlorine acid. One spring is also highly charged with alkaline salts. The other springs have varying analysis. He said that the springs resemble the Calabiti waters of Germany. It must be very useful in combating skin disease, kidney, and digestive problems, and even rheumatism. Several, several people have actually been cured, according to Peter Nugent's study. The late Carlton Tenney's contracted a fatal skin disease during World War I. When he returned to the States, Carlton was told by the doctors there was nothing they could do for him. At the same time, his pet canary developed a serious molting problem and the bird lost all his feathers. Carlton gave the bird Brunswick Springs water to drink, and all the feathers grew back. Carlton decided to try the same cure on himself, and it, com and it worked. He was completely healed and lived many years after that. That All right, so the first article, now I'm back to thinking there is something to these springs. Then the second newspaper article taught me something that I never knew. Now, again, I get it. I'm an American. I went to, you know... American school, public schools, but I never knew this part. 150 years ago, Vermont joined the Union. From the Revolution until 1791, Vermont was an independent country, owing allegiance to neither King George nor the United States. I didn't know that. I didn't know that Vermont was its own country at one point. Did Vermont have its own country flag? I have so many questions about that that I've not looked into because I'm still doing this episode. The last time I recorded it, I said, you know, I'm going to find out some of this stuff and maybe I'll let you guys know online. Now I'm going to say, I'll look into it when I get a chance, but I never knew that Vermont was his own country. But anyhow, this one goes on to talk about the Brunswick Springs, uh, the healing, the crazy stuff that happened and the curse. So the curse was out there. Um, even in like newspaper articles, it got around um, so that's it for the first curse. I gotta say, and I kind of figured this out in the first recording this episode, because at first I was like, I don't know if I drink from it. And then the first episode, the first time I recorded this, I was like, oh, you know what? I think I would drink from Brunswick Springs, but only with a replica Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade Grail cup. You know, like I dress like Indiana Jones. I put my jacket on and the hat on and have the cup and I'd put it under the water and I'd drink from it, and then I'd turn around and look for, like, some old-ass knight to be like, you chose wisely, or you chose sulfur. That was a bad choice. Like, that kind of a thing. I would try the springs, I got to say. And frankly, it couldn't be any worse than drinking the well water that I used to drink at my grandparents' house. I'm, I'm serious. Like, this well water, you could be in the living room, and if, like, Aunt Kathy, you know, went in to, like, get a cup of water from the tap, you'd be like... 
Oh, yep, I smell the tap water. Aunt Kathy must be getting a drink of water. I mean, it was really well watery, well water. And I survived. I'm I'm still me. Maybe that explains a lot about me, but the rest of my family drank it as well. So, you know, I don't know what the fuck's happening. All right. Before I move on to the next cursed land, the next cursed land is what I'm trying to say there. Here's a bonus for the patrons while I'm in Vermont. So, regular listeners, we'll see you in a minute. Patrons, you know I love a good lesser-known Bigfoot story, and this is a awesome lesser-known Bigfoot story. So, uh, regular listeners, if you're mad, like, I want to hear a lesser-known Bigfoot story, for as little as a dollar a month, you can join patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac, and you too can hear this lesser-known Bigfoot story. Otherwise, go away. I'll see you in a second. It'll be, like, instantaneous for you. So, patrons, you with me? Of course you are. All righty. Welcome back, everyone. See, regular listeners, to you, it was just like nothing ever happened. I went, I'm going to be back, and then boom, I'm back. For the patrons, though, they got themselves a cool little story. So let's continue on to the next cursed land, shall we, everyone? Now, you can't have curses without people who supposedly cursed people. That's right. I'm talking witches, bitches. Then, you got where you got yourself some witches, you got some Salem, Massachusetts. And yes, I know I keep threatening to do an entire witch episode, and I and I still say I will one day. One day I'm going to. So I'm not going to get too deep into Salem, Massachusetts, or into witches, really. But just know both of those things happened. This curse, though, is all about the Salem witch trials and a man named Giles Corey, who I swore I've done an episode about, but like before, but I can't find it in any of my notes. So if I have... Just listen to it again. If I haven't, just listen to it right now. Now, this is the third time I think I've talked about old Giles Corey. All right, we go back to 1692, where Giles Corey, a successful farmer living in Salem Village, currently called Danvers, Massachusetts, when a group of girls and young women started accusing locals of bewitching them with, quote, specters and pinches and diseases. Sure, why not? Damn you girls listening to this shit off a true crime podcast. That's exactly what happened. I bet you money. I've never listened to a true crime, true crime podcast, but I'm betting now that, you know, like true crime podcasts back in the day in 1692 were all about like, you know, don't listen. They, they always have rhymes on true crime podcasts. They're like, you know, um, people call you a bitch, treat them like a witch. You know, there's going to be something, some sassy little saying about that so just assume in my opinion that's why that's exactly what caused the 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 salem witch trials but anyhow we're gonna go to 1676 giles was um look don't curse me from beyond the grave giles but giles was kind of a fuck up he was tried for the death of isaac goodale who is an indentured servant whom giles beat with a stick for stealing some apples so, dick move number one, but guess what? Killing an indentured servant, i.e. slave, wasn't against the law, because fuck olden times. Uh, Giles is also accused of stealing several times and had such a bad reputation that when John Proctor's house burnt down a few years previous, he assumed that Giles had burnt it down. So, I guess dick move number two. Then, this next part, it, it pisses me off. Every site instantly, instantly slut shames Giles' wife, Martha. 
And that is not happening on this podcast right now. This show, she is not going to be slut-shamed. His wife, Martha, had cheated on her previous husband, supposedly. I don't care. They're probably all old white hole, you know, white dick holes that are killing indentured servants. But there's no proof ever on any of these sites that she ever cheated on Giles. It's said that her and Giles would argue often in front of neighbors. So her only crime is arguing with a guy who has a bunch of dick points against him. Uh, well, even with his dick points against him, Martha was accused of witchcraft. Now, at first, I will give him points for this. Giles testified against his wife. Oh, I'm sorry. I won't give him points for this. At first, he testified against his wife saying he believed the accusations. So fuck him in his face. But then he changed his mind and tried to recant. Um, a little uh, too little too late in witch trials there, Giles. But I'll give you some points for at least being like, you know what? I'm sorry. She's not really a witch. Too little too late. You should have started with she's not a witch. Then. Karma, by the name of Abigail Hobbs, who was another woman accused of witchcraft, she goes, oh, yeah? Well, guess what? Giles Corey is a wizard. And not like the good kind, like from Harry Potter, which is a shit book now, but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not Dumbledore. She means like a wizard, like he's a male witch. And good and innocent Martha, she goes, no, 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 he's not a wizard. It's not true. Please don't accuse him of bullshit. But Giles himself would not plead guilty or not guilty. And I had to look up why, because I was very confused by this. Why wouldn't he just plead not guilty? Turns out, he knew that if he pled and let the trial happen, his estate would be taken away from his family after his execution if he was pled, if he was found guilty. Now, if he pled not guilty, even if he was determined to be not guilty, his estate would be taken away from his family. So to save his children's inheritance... He did not plead either way. But since he would, since he wouldn't plead either way, the law tried to force him to plea. How, you might ask? Well, it's called pin forte et dur, translating to strong and hard pain, which, fun fact, is also my porn name. Kurt Strong and Hard Pain Sandvik. But anyhow, back to Giles. So, Giles was asked to strip naked and lay down face up on the ground. A wooden board was then placed on top of him. And on top of that board, one by one, Sheriff George Corwin placed large rocks. Every time he placed a rock down, he said, what is your plea? After two days of doing this torture, through which Giles had basically remained silent, never crying out, he was asked to plead every time. Now, Giles didn't want his property being taken away, so he never pled either way. Then on the third day, September 19th, 1692, he died from being pressed to death. Officially, his last words were, more weight. So that's kind of a baller move. Uh, in the diary of Samuel Seawall from September 19th, 1692, it reads, Monday, September 19th, 1692, about noon at Salem, Giles Corey was pressed to death for standing mute. Much pain was used with him two days, one after another, by Ye Court and Captain Gardner of Nantucket, who had been his acquaintance. So that sucks. But all in vain, uh, now I hear from Salem that about 18 years ago, he was suspected to have stamped and pressed a man to death, but was cleared, was not remembered till Ann Putnam was told of it by G. Corey's specter, ye Sabbath day before ye execution. Now, I don't know if that means this woman 
saw his ghost and his ghost was like, hey, this dickhead crushed some other dude before. I don't know. But where's the curse? That's what I want to get to. This is a cursed land episode. So where's the curse? Well, some witnesses back in the day wrote that, that Giles Corey did not remain silent. And his actual last words were, he used his last breath to curse the sheriff. Damn you, I curse you and Salem. So boom, Salem was cursed, maybe. Now I did find that on April 12, 1696, Sheriff George Carwin died suddenly of a heart attack at the age 30. And uh, legend claims that immediately before every natural disaster since 1801, Giles' ghost can be seen wandering around the cemetery. Then we go to a huge jump in time to 1974, when Robert Ellis Cahill was elected the new sheriff of Essex County, Massachusetts, which includes Salem. Everything seemed to be going well, but in 1978, Robert suffered a heart attack and a stroke. And I can't prove any of this, but it's said that Robert investigated and gathered all historical documents he could get his hands on, and he discovered that every sheriff he could find information on since Sheriff Corwin had either died in office of heart problems or, reti- or retired due to a blood disorder. So, at that time, I was like, well, I want to see what I can find. So, I didn't look up anything about a curse. What I wanted to find out were who were the, who were the sheriffs of Essex County, which includes Salem. And I found a shit ton of them. Not all of them, but I found a lot of them. William Gedney, born in 1688, 1668, died in 1729 at the age of 60. He was appointed sheriff from 1696 to 1715 when he retired. Boom. No curse. Thomas Wainwright. Listed as sheriff in 1702, was co-sheriff with William Gedney. Nothing online about him. Okay. Daniel Dennison. Listed as sheriff in 1708. Nothing online about him. No curse, no curse. John Dennison, born in 1689, died on November 25th, 1724, at the age of 35, was appointed sheriff in 1715, and died while in office. Okay. Curse point. I'm going to do a curse point in my, my head. So far, one out of four. Benjamin Marston. I'm not going to do all these dates. This is too much talking for me again. Uh, Benjamin Marston died at the age of 57, took over sheriff in 1724, was already co-sheriff, was, was sheriff for 21 years when he retired, moved away, no curse. Robert Hale uh, died at the age of 65, born, appointed sheriff in 1746, retired in 1763, died four years later, no curse. Sheriff Richard Saltonstall. Died at the age of 53, appointed sheriff in 1763 and quit in 1776 as he was loyal to England during the Revolutionary War. Moved to England in 1776, lived the rest of his life there. No curse, but fuck that traitor. Michael Farley. Died at the age of 70, appointed sheriff sometime between 1775 and 1777 until 1789. Died while in office, no cause of death. Okay, two curses. Bailey Bartlett. Died at the age of 80. Um... Stayed until his death. He died a really old man at that time. That's a really old, so no curse. Joseph Sprague died at the age of 69. Uh, Appointed sheriff in September 1830. Stayed sheriff until his death in 1852. Okay, died in the office. Curse point. Uh, Frederick Robertson uh, died at the age of 82. Sheriff from 1852 to 1853. Left office. No curse. Thomas E. Payson died at the age of 64. No curse. James Carey, 73, uh, no curse. Horatio Herrick, died at the age of 80, no curse. Samuel A. Johnson, uh, died at the age of 72, when he was in office. Okay, curse. 
Arthur G. Wells uh, died at the age of 62, uh, died in office. Curse, but he was old. I'll still give it a point. Frank Raymond, sheriff, uh, died at the age of 78. Um, no curse. Earl Wells died at the age of 70, died in office. Curse point. Roger E. Wells um, died at the age of 63, left office, no curse. Then let's jump ahead because I'm getting bored with this and I really don't want to talk all this much. Jump to 1991. The county jail and the sheriff's office was moved out of Salem. So curse broken, everyone. We did it. We did it, everybody. Curse is broken. So a total of seven out of all of those people I just said, which is way more than seven, died in office. I'm going to guess no curse. Now, quick follow-up on Martha. There is no happy ending there because she was hung. She was hanged, not hung, Kurt. She was hanged as a witch three days later. So, yeah, no sheriff curse, but I got to say, it really sucks to be a woman a woman anytime in history. Listen, women, listen to the people, the women that are listening to this podcast right now. Please, if someone hands you the keys to a time machine, don't, don't get in it. There is very little time in history where it's going to work out good for a woman to be go back in time. Uh, just, you know what? Come over here. You and I will get in the time machine. We'll go back in time. I'm a white man. There's, you know, very little time in history where it didn't pay to be a white man, unfortunately, sadly, but true. So, you know, you can come with me and I'll be like, oh, uh, this this is my um, ye old time machine wench. I don't know. I'll figure out how to say it better when we go back in time. Don't worry. I'll practice. But, uh, you know, I'm saying if you're a woman and you're handed a time machine, it's probably not going to go, go forward in time. Find, tell me what happens there. And, and you can, you can do an episode about, you know, time travel that went forward, but don't go back in time. It seems bad all the time for women and native Americans. Fucking white people, right? All right, let's move on to the next cursed land. This one, we go to St. Louis cemetery. Number one. Yep. Curse and New Orleans. That's right. Another match made in purgatory. Now, this one is about voodoo queen Marie Louveau, who I know I've talked about. So, you know, find that episode for more info on her. But to get to the curse, which isn't so much as a curse as a ghost sightings with possible benefits. Uh, locals believe that Madame Louveau could make a person's wishes come true or bring ill fortune if she thought someone deserved it. So she and her black snake zombie which Kurt here, I still can't believe that's true. And I really haven't researched it, but I'm just going to, I want it to be true. I want Madame Louveau to have a black snake named Zombie. Um, so anyhow, her and her black snake Zombie are said to appear in the graveyard every year and that she can still use her powers to this day for good and for evil. So I guess if you're in the St. Louis Cemetery number one late at night and you happen to run across the ghost of a voodoo priestess and her ghost snake named Zombie, maybe don't press your luck by asking her to grant your wish. I don't know. It's up to you. You got to figure, you know, you got to do the whole like math in your head. Like, am I a good person? Because me, Kurt here, I don't know if I would ask her to, to grant a wish because I think I'm a good person. You know, I, I'm not a bad person. I try to do good in life, but... You know, I've yelled at a customer service agent on the phone before because it's a horrible, you know, the decision tree is horrible and these people are just not listening to me. So maybe I'm not as good of a person as I think. And I don't want her to be like, you're cursed to work in customer service for the rest of your life. It's just not worth it for me is what I'm saying. But, you know, maybe if, if maybe for you, it would be. So, you know, use your own decisions to say like, 
hey, you know what? I'm in St. Louis Cemetery number one already, and there she is standing right in front of me with her black snake zombie, who they're both ghosts. That's cool. I guess I'm going to ask her if I could please win the Mega Millions tonight. You know, that's on you. I don't know how this shit works. I'm just telling you about it for the third time. All right, this seems one, uh, that seems like common sense to me. So off to the next one. Let's go to the Hanging Hills, which was also my porn name. Kurt Hanging Hills Sandvig. That one doesn't sound as good. Now that I think about it, it just sounds like I had really long balls. Never mind. I don't want that one. Never mind. Scratch that. Not my porn name. Uh, well, let's go to Connecticut for this one where, quote, a small, cute black dog greets visitors with a wagging tail and a soundless bark. Okay, Kurt here. I'm already into this one. I'm going to give this ghost good boy a treat for sure. But legend says, first encounter brings good luck. Second encounter, tragedy. The third encounter, death. Kurt here, I'm fucking risking it. I'm going to pet that fucking ghost dog every chance I get. Okay. The legend of the black dog has a very clear beginning, though, people. It's from the winter of 1898 that's when a fictitious story called the black dog appeared in the connecticut quarterly that's right this next story all fake it is a short-haired black dog of moderate size with nothing particularly noticeable in its actual appearance yet there are two signs by which it never by which it is ever known men have seen it bark but have never heard no sound and it leaves no footprints behind it on the dust of summer or the snow of winter in the february during of the late 1890s, the narrator, who is identified only by the initials FS and is a Harvard-trained geologist, decides to explore the lava-formed Hanging Hills West Peak. He is joined by Herbert Marshall, who worked for the U.S. Geological Survey Society. Before departing, FS tells Marshall he saw a strange black dog on a visit to the region three years earlier. Marshall responds that he has also seen the dog twice, but he recounts a local legend that seeing the dog three times meant death. Ignoring the superstition, the men set out the next morning to hike and climb to the summit of West Peak. Though it is not very high by measurement, it is wild and savage aspects make it strong impression on the traveler than many mountains of, of the much greater altitude. When the winter roars through the stunted seat, I don't want to read all this. Basic, look, the story is they go up there, boom, they see the dog, they die. Cool, whatever. Great story, but it's just that. It's a story. The author, he didn't die. He lived a long, full life writing bullshit stories. Um, so this one, yeah, sorry locals who still swear online that it's true. There's a lot of people that go, no, it's on Reddit. They're like, no, I go I go to Hanging Hills. I don't know why I'm giving them Southern accent. No, I go to Hanging Hills. I've seen the, the ghost black dog. It's true. I'm sorry. I can't find one concrete story ever that someone went up to the hills, saw a black dog, came down and said, hey, I saw a black dog. That was cool. Look, I won the Mega Millions. They're like, oh, cool. I'm going to go back up to the Black Hills. Oh, or Hanging Hills. Oh, look, I saw that black dog again. Guess what? I lost all those Mega Millions by buying a house on Oak Island. And then I'm going to go back up to the Hanging Hills again. Oh, my God, I saw the black. They're on the phone like, oh, my God, I saw the black dog. Oh, I died. You know, there's no, there's no stories that ever say that any of this part of the story is true at all. Any of this curses all. So I'm going to call this one debunked. And if you're a local and you say, no, it's true, my, you know, my grandpa died after seeing the black dog twice and he went back up into the Hanging Hills and then we found him dead. Cool. But it better be, you better have evidence to back it up is all I'm saying. And also, guess what? If you go up there, you go up to Hanging Hills and you see the black dog and you get great luck and you win the lotto. Cool. 
Don't ever go to hanging hills again. It's real easy to avoid this curse. You just never go again. Then you don't see the black dog for the second time up there and you lose the money or bad things happen to you. And then if you, if you did do that for some stupid reason, don't go up there for a third time. It's real easy. Just stop going to the same fucking place because you know the next time you see him, you're going to die. So you just never go to hanging hills. Real easy curse. Go up there once, see the dog, have a wish granted, never fucking go back. Real easy. All right. That's my how to avoid a curse rant in the middle of an episode. All right, for this next one, we go to Dudley Town, also in Connecticut. Connecticut? Connecticut. Now, this one is short and sweet and seems to be true. Dudley Town, nicknamed the Village of the Damned, which I got to say is a much better name than Dudley Town. Uh, anyhow, uh, it's uh, the family for whom the town is named the Dudleys. They came from England to the Litchfield Hills in 1747. And they went, hey, I like this. What is this place called? And they're like, oh, it's called Litchfield Hills. And they're like, no, it's not. Now it's called Dudley Town, motherfuckers. And people are like, um, okay, no. Well, anyhow, the Dudleys all met strange and untimely deaths. People who moved there had a high likelihood of dying, dying from illnesses, committing suicide, or being plagued by evil spirits. I got to say, none of those seem good. If you say you can choose from these three things, Kurt, you can die from illness, committing suicide, or being plagued by evil spirits. I don't know which one I would choose because they all seem really bad. Anyhow, eventually by the 20th century, the last person actually moved out of Dudley Town and the town was abandoned. So what is the curse of the Dudleys, though? Legend says that anyone who has ever tried to live in what has been Dudley Town will come into terrible misfortune. The curse does include the stuff I said before, like suicides to demonic possessions. That's right. Since the East Coast, back in the 70s, the Warrens actually went to Dudley Town and recorded a Halloween special about the Dudley Town curse. Declaring it officially demonically possessed. That's right. It's official, everyone. Dudley Town. Official demonically possessed. I don't know what that means. Since then, people that visit the area have reported the basic paranormal stuff. But I guess since they're just visiting, the curse doesn't extend to them. And yes, skeptics, I know. There is a book debunking the Dudley Town curse that you can buy on Amazon, but I haven't bought it, and I really don't plan to because I don't have any money. So let's just grain of salt the whole Dudley Town curse, and let's move on to the Seiko River in Maine. Kurt here. So is just all of New England cursed? Because that's what it seems like. Everything on here has been New England. Um, this curse goes back to the Native Americans that lived there. Shocker. They say it's a place of death. Now, legend has it that Squando of the Sokokis tribe back in the late 1600s, well, he lost his wife and child in the river at the hands of colonial settlers. Shocking. White dick move number one. Again, noticing a pattern in curses. They all seem to be wonderful, wonderful places. Then white settlers come in and pull some dick racist move and bam, cursed for all time. Anyhow, 
As revenge, Squando placed a curse upon the river, foretelling that it would claim three white lives every year that followed. I'm going to repeat that. Squando said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to place a curse on the river. Every year, three white people are going to drown in the river. Now, it's not just a curse. It's not just a legend, though. It's actually noted by the New England Historical Society that people wouldn't go near the river until three white people drowned each year. Kurt here. Um, why the hell would you ever go in that river? If I heard, hey, honey, guess what? A third white guy drowned today. Get the kids. We're going down to that cursed river. No. I'm moving to fucking Dudley Town. No. Are you telling me that there's no other non-cursed body of waters that I can go to where I don't have to worry about, are you sure that three white people drowned? Well, I don't know. Let's throw a kid in there. What's Kid, you go in there first. He's not drowning. All right, fine. I'll go in the water. Fuck that noise. Don't go into the Seiko River, white people. It's that easy. Then, 1947, the main Sunday telegram declared the curse is broken because no one drowned in the Seiko River that year. That's right. We did it again, everyone. We beat the curse. Jesus Christ, people. What is happening? Why why would you ever go to a cursed land at all? I'm not going to Dudley Town. I'm not going to Hanging Hills. Definitely not going in the Seiko River. What the fuck? Stop going to cursed lands. There are other places to go. Have you ever been to Disneyland? It's fucking great. As far as I'm aware, there is no curse that the third white person every morning that walks into the castle dies. As far as I'm aware, it's fine. There is no curse that if you ride on Pirates of the Caribbean and you don't know the full song from beginning to end, by the time the ride is over, you're dead. Like, I I don't know of any curse like that. Go to Disneyland, people. Calm the fuck down with cursed lands. All right. That about does it for regular-sized episode. But for the patrons, stay tuned for another curse or two, and maybe... Probably it's going to happen. I'm telling you right now. A teeny tiny bonus Barbieheimer episode starting now. Well, not right now. Hold on. Sorry. Hold on. Preemptively said now. So for the regular listeners, in a minute, we're going to skip ahead to the end of the episode where I ask you a question about like, would you drink from the fucking Brunswick Springs? Would you swim around in Seiko River if you're a white person? That kind of bullshit. But that'll be in a second. It's going to be instantaneous. Now. Patrons, it's starting now. All righty, regular listeners, we're back. What'd you think? Did you did you miss me? You shouldn't have. It should have been instantaneous. But the patrons, they got to hear a couple of more curses. They got a little bit of a Barbieheimer mini episode. They got a lot of fun stuff. And if you're going like, that's not fair, again, just join the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Paranormal Almanac. For as little as a dollar a month, you get the extra bonus fun stuff too. You can also support the show by heading over to tpublic.com slash stores slash paranormal dash almanac. Thank you, everybody that's bought merch lately. You have no idea how much it supports me and how much it helps me out. It really, really does. I can't thank you guys enough. But what do you guys think? What do you guys think? Which cursed land would you go to? Which cursed land are you going to be like, yeah, that sounds right. Would you drink from Brunswick? Here you go. Have you drink from Brunswick Springs? If you have, please let me know. Please let me know if you drank from, if it tastes weird, if you drank from it at all. 
because I think that shit is cool. And like I said, I think I would drink from it. Um, but with my replica Indiana Jones Holy Grail mug. All right, once again, I'm your host, Kurt Samick. This has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac, take two of this episode. Fingers crossed it is not a cursed episode, and I can actually get this episode out to you guys.
Elziao, zo is het wel weer.